0: Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. So uh, we are looking at the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and today we come to the figure of Noah. I am going to assume a general knowledge of Noah so I'm not going to read from Genesis chapter 6 but I'm assuming you know the basic contours of the story, which is all you really need to know for the message this morning, that Noah was a righteous man. He's in a wicked generation. The word of God comes to him and tells him that he's going to destroy the world in a flood because its wickedness has become so unbelievably great. And therefore, Noah has got to build an ark. And like a new Adam, all of the animals are going to come in the ark with him. And he's going to be a vehicle of salvation for... A microcosm of the creation, and his family is saved with him. Here's the interpretation that we get from the author of Hebrews as he reflects on the nature of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Listen to God's word. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I recognized something of an oddity about the English language last week, and I wonder if you've recognized this as well. Let me put it to you. So if somebody has completely lost their vision, we call them blind, if somebody has completely lost their ability to hear, we call them, and if somebody's lost their ability to smell, we call them, there's no word, at least in common English parlance, to describe it when somebody has lost their sense of smell. It's a bit weird. It's odd. You know something else that's odd, that people find perhaps even a little bit ridiculous and absurd? Dad jokes, one-liners. I've curated a bunch of them for you, you be the judge. Uh, There's already groans in the room, okay. A man orders a whole pizza pie for himself and is asked whether he would like to cut it into eight pieces or four pieces. He responds, four. Why, the person responds. Because I'm on a diet, he says. Wah, wah, wah. What do you call a fake noodle? an impasta <laughs> Better, better. Okay. Why did the hipster burn his mouth? He drank the coffee before it was cool. <laughs> All right, want to hear a construction joke? Yeah. Oh, never mind, I'm still working on it. Ah. Yep. Here's a here's a decent one. What did the bald man exclaim when he received a comb for a present? Thank you, I'll never part with it. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. This one's good. I told my wife she was drawing her eyebrows too high. She looked at me, surprised. <laughs> See, that's a good one, it is a good one. All right, final one. What is Forrest Gump's Facebook password? One forest One. Yeah absurd, right? Just ridiculous, but kind of funny at the same time. You know, but there is something else absurd that I'd like to talk to you about this morning, and that is Noah. Just imagine Noah in the midst of his contemporaries. Here is a man who claims that he and he alone, among all the people around him, he and he alone has heard the voice of God And although the people think they're doing just fine, Noah's heard that the people are so wicked, so evil, that their corruption has become so complete that God has decided to destroy the world. And therefore he, Noah, has got to begin building an ark, a massive ship, the likes of which has never been built before. Because once he has built the ship, Noah, who's, by the way, over 600 years old at this point, he's a very old man, talk about ludicrous, the animals are going to begin coming to the boat two by two, male and female, so that as I said at the beginning, this microcosm of creation can be saved with Noah through the flood. Imagine the ridicule, the scoffing and the jeering, as the author of Hebrews says later many of these heroes faced, that Noah would have faced. Noah, seriously, you think that you can hear the voice of God, a God we cannot see, and among all the gods, you are privy to the one God that's going to destroy us? And seriously, Noah, you think you're just gonna stand there and all the animals are gonna come to you into this ark? We're in the desert, Noah. Really, rain is gonna start falling to the degree that the floodwaters are going to come and we're gonna need this ark, this massive thing to save us. Noah, you're a total lunatic. You're insane you're absurd. But despite the ridicule that Noah doubtlessly faced, the scoffing, the derision, the jeering, Noah remains faithful. He continues to build that boat. It must have taken a very long time. He waits for the animals and then he goes into the ark and the door is shut behind him. He remains faithful. And here's what I want to put to you today. I believe that now perhaps more than ever since the time of Jesus, we Christians need to embrace the faith of Noah. If we are going to remain faithful to what God calls us to do and be today, we need to embrace the faith of Noah because look at it friends, in our increasingly secularizing society in Canada and the US, what we believe as Christians And what we are called to do and called not to do is also beginning to look increasingly absurd. In fact, to be invited into the Christian life and the Christian belief is to be, we might say, invited into what our society is going to consider absurdity. It's an invitation into absurdity. Take a couple of examples. How about what we believe? Even the most basic belief that we have that there is a God, is scoffed at by the new atheists as akin to believing that we, we believe in some kind of spaghetti, flying spaghetti monster in the sky. It's hilarious. It's outrageous. Why would you believe in a God that you cannot see, cannot taste, cannot touch, cannot feel, cannot smell? Because we know in our secular society, don't we, that it is only material, material reality things that we could put under a microscope, things that we can look at at a telescope that truly exists. So your belief in God is absurd. But then add to that the belief that this God became human. Yeah, right, Christian, like God, if there was a God, would enter into human flesh. That is a loony belief and more so that he would enter into human flesh to live the life that we were supposed to live but didn't, to die the death that we deserve so we don't have to die the death that we deserve. And then after being killed on a Roman cross, Romans knew how to kill people and they knew how to do it cruelly, that somehow or other this figure so mutilated beyond belief and destroyed by the Romans was actually raised from the dead. You Christians really are believers in fairy tales, aren't you? You really are believers in the absurd. For this reason, I believe today, we need to embrace the faith of Noah because of what we believe, but also because of what we are told to do and seek to live out. We are told to love our enemies. We are called to bless those who curse us. That is not reasonable to our world. Somebody punches you, you punch them back harder. Somebody kicks you, you kick them back harder. If somebody takes out your brother, you take out their tribe that's reasonable, not to turn the other cheek, not to love those who hate you, but this is what we're called to do. Or think about what we're not called to do and how totally absurd this is. And I'll just hit the big one in our society today. We are called to reserve the marriage bed, to hold sex for the marriage bed and the marriage bed alone. Well, that, to our society today, is considered totally outrageous and probably harmful to yourself. I remember when I was about 20 years old, I was working with a guy and he was asking me about my beliefs and about sex and I told him what I believe and I'm waiting for marriage and he says, what, are you absolutely crazy? Why even bother living then? He was quite serious. The things that we are called to believe, the things we're called to do, the things we're called not to do, are absurd and increasingly absurd in our world today. So again, I believe we need the faith of Noah. If we are going to remain faithful, we need the faith of Noah. So there's a question, what is exactly the faith of Noah and how will it sustain us? Well, I think that we can say and are being called to say two things from the author of Hebrews today. What was the faith of Noah? It is this, to have the faith of Noah in the first instance is to trust to trust that there will be a great reversal, okay? It is to trust that there will be a great reversal. Noah is out there, there hasn't been a drop of rain yet. He is mocked, he's scoffed, he's jeered at. He continues because he believes that God will do what God has said he will do. The fortunes will change. He who is mocked will be mocked no longer. He who looks the fool will be proven to be right. As Paul says in Romans, we will not be put to shame. Noah is not put to shame because there is a great reversal. And he clings to the faith before the reversal happens. When the rains come, the floodwaters rise, and he is actually saved. He clings to the belief that God will do what he says he will do. And therefore, though he may look stupid right now, he's not going to look stupid in the future. And it sustains his faith. And we must cling to the same faith, friends, that there will be a great reversal for us right? Because we may be mocked, we may be jeered, we may look silly with the things that we believe and do, but scripture says we will be proven to be in the right. Why? Because God will do what God has said he will do. He will reward your sacrifices. He will turn your sufferings into glory, and ultimately, he will raise you up from the dead. Trust that. You will not be put to shame. Rather, there will be a reversal, how we see this in Hebrews is the author says, by faith, Noah condemned the world. And I do not take this to say that Noah was just preaching fire and hell and brimstone. He, the, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. Peter, I believe he was calling people to a right relationship with God. But when it says that he condemned the world, that is to say that they were saying he was wrong, they're saying he's silly, they're saying he's stupid, but he's proven right and then they are condemned in terms of they are the ones who are shown to be in the wrong. And we can have the same faith today because we well, look at Jesus. Jesus looked absolutely foolish hanging there on the cross. Sure, this is a Messiah. What a totally outrageous thing to say. Preposterous to believe that a crucified man who claimed to be the Messiah was actually the Messiah, but then he's risen from the dead which is God's vindication of Jesus is saying, oh yeah, yeah, things are not as they seem. The way things sometimes appear are not the way things really are. Jesus actually was and is the Messiah who now sits at the right hand of God. And just as he was raised from the dead, so too will you be raised from the dead. Trust this, it will galvanize you and strengthen you in your faithfulness today. So we have a future orientation. But here's the second thing that I wanna say about the faith of Noah. To have the faith of Noah is to trust that your faithfulness today will bring about some kind of goodness. Your faithfulness today will bring about some form of goodness. Noah didn't know that being faithful to God and slaving away at making this ark, he didn't know what kind of good that it was gonna bring about but he continued at his task because he had the faith that God was going to bring goodness about. Salvation of the animals. But the author of Hebrews says, by faith, Noah in reverent fear built the ark and saved his family. Well, that was good. What kind of goodness is coming about because of your faithfulness today? Can you trust that God is bringing about goodness in your life even though you're suffering, even though you're hurting, even though you're making great sacrifices, even though you are mocked and jeered and scoffed at by the world, do you believe that God is bringing about goodness and will be bringing about his goodness in your life through your faithfulness? I would love to launch into a conversation about all the ways scripture says that God can be bringing about immediate goodness for you and or collateral goodness for his world. I'd love to talk to you about Job right now and the goodness that God brought out of Job's faithfulness in his suffering I'd love to talk to you about the concept of sanctification I'd love to talk to you about how God uses our faithfulness and bring about and suffering to bring about the getting rid of our idols in our life but here's what I want to do in the last minute that I have I want to give you an image to leave with a story okay this is a true story as far as I um, understand so here it is One day, a famous pianist and composer was at an Orpheum, this grand Orpheum, this grand theater, and he was playing for the folks who were there. He was offering a piano concert. He plays a couple of songs and then he looks over and he sees in the front bench this five-year-old, maybe six-year-old boy sitting there listening with rapt attention. And he does something unexpected. He pauses in his concert and he walks down from the stage, which is higher up. And he goes to the front row and he sees this little boy and he goes over and whispers something in his ear. Namely, he whispers, hey, do you play the piano? And would you like to come up and play a little piece at the front with me? And the little boy nods and the composer, this pianist puts out his pinky and they walk up together to the piano. The kid kind of climbs up on the bench and sits down and his tiny little fingers on the white keys and he starts playing something like chopsticks. And it's really crude and he's missing some notes. The famous pianist and composer lets this go on for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute, whatever it was. And then as the child continues to play, this composer reaches his hands around the child, surrounding the child, and he starts filling in the music and he starts filling out the music, and he starts playing harmonies, and he fills the room with this absolutely gorgeous sound as this little five-year-old child offering his best, his meager efforts, filled out by this amazing composer. It's a picture of what God does with us, says scripture. And if we will trust that God will fill out our lives with his goodness when we offer our meager efforts. Boy, oh boy, can we sustain, can we withstand a lot that goes on in our lives. And friends, I just wanna say to you, this is precisely what scripture says is happening. The composer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. What? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Who? The author and perfecter of your faith. Oh, yes, we may not see it now, but God is working his good in your life. Trust that and stay the course in your faithfulness to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.